Welcome to the latest episode of Dope Nostalgia. I'm Naomi here um, in quarantine, of course. Well, self-isolation mode anyway, as I'm sure many of you are. Thank you for staying home and trying to, you know, flatten the curve out there. It's very important that we do this so that we can get back to normalcy at some point. There's still people out there who think that they're invincible or that they don't think they can spread this thing. Well, you're wrong and you need to stay home. Right? End of discussion. All of us would love to get back to normal life, but we got to do this or it won't happen very soon. Um, yeah, if you're getting cabin fever out there, um, may I suggest you can always email us and uh, maybe I have Zoom chats from time to time where I get together with friends and have a beer. If you're feeling like you want to join in on a Zoom chat, you can be our guest. Uh, just email me at dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll invite you in for a session sometime. That being said, also on all of our social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Before I start to interview one of our special guests, which I've been so lucky to interview so many of the amazing celebrities that have come on the show, I always ask you guys if you have any questions you would like to ask the people coming up. So as soon as I book it, I'll head straight there. I'll post about it. And if you guys have a question to ask, I will ask the question for you on one condition that it's a well thought out question. It's actually interesting to the person being interviewed. Um, if you're going to ask a stupid question, I'm not going to ask it. <clears throat> Pretty straightforward. Like, what's your favorite color? Uh, things like that. Something really obviously an answer you could Google possibly. I'm not going to ask it. Um, if it's something thought provoking, something that would be uh, fun for that person I'm interviewing to answer, yeah, I'm totally going to do it. So just use common sense on it, and I am more than happy to share your questions. As you guys are a big, you're, you're everything. You're a big part of the show. So please, please send those questions in. I was very, very fortunate that I had a phone call this week with the phenomenal bass player of Mr. Big. Hence, this is part three of our Mr. Big series. Billy Sheehan spent some time with me while we're both in isolation, of course. Um, and it was, what an intelligent man. Very well-spoken and interesting. Um, Billy Sheehan from Mr. Big. And at the end of the podcast, uh, we're going to do a summary of the interview with our good friend of the show, Colin Krieger, who's co-hosted with me several times already. So it'll be nice to have him back. So yeah, here it is, guys. One of the greatest bassists of all time, Billy Sheehan. Well, welcome to the show, Billy. Um, Thank we, you very much. This week we published episodes one and two based on Mr. Big because uh, earlier in the month I had a chat with Eric. Oh, great. Yeah, and he sends his love. He wanted me to say hi and do that for wonderful, him. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Yeah, what a, what a voice. So 30 years ago, uh, or 30, 32, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, we uh, we started that band, and uh, it, was a, it was quite a good run. No kidding. And I got to say, it's one of my favorite uh, rock bands, definitely. Oh, thanks um, a million. To, to this day, to this day. Um, Wonderful. How are you feeling with everything that's going on? Um, I know you're in Nashville right now, so I understand it's been a tough time in Nashville of late. Yeah, unfortunately, we had the tornado. I, was, I wasn't here for that. Uh I remember getting in touch, texting my wife when I found out about it because uh, to see you know what happened. She slept through it, so it was wow. far enough away from us that we didn't even feel it. We're we're uh, south of the city, and that things happened mostly in East Nashville, I believe. Right. Uh, so they got hit hard. So just when I was trying to 
figure out some things I could do for that. Uh, you know, uh, then a whole other series of catastrophes, as you know, started yeah. to raise in their ugly head uh, to, uh, around the world. So we, uh, uh, we, we got to deal with it as we deal with it. I, I do, do whatever you can to keep, uh, surviving here. So yeah. I, 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 I'm still hoping to get some, uh, do some kind of help for the musicians in Nashville, but now all musicians everywhere are, are in big trouble. So well, I will do my best to do both. Yeah. And I mean, there's, it's really nice to see all the stuff that's happening online where people are streaming from their homes. I know that there's some software that people are jamming together with. Um, yeah, kind of that's gets, cool. Yeah. It kind of prevents the, the lag in between uh, musicians too. If um, there's, there's ways to do it. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, as I scroll through Facebook, it seems every other post is somebody sitting there with a guitar or at the piano <laughs> or something. So it's yeah. uh, people. Music, uh, thank goodness, that's where everybody defaults back to when uh, times get tough. And uh, that's that's. I think it's a good thing, as I, I think as a fan of music, yeah. I, that's where I go when 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 I'm against any kind of adversity. It's therapeutic and. Same with the, uh, I find that the process of even songwriting is therapeutic in times like these two. I agree. Yeah, it's, uh, I remember years ago being in LA and uh, I listened a lot to um, the classical station in LA and it was public radio and they had a, a promotion where if you donated so much money, you'd get this CD of all, a collection of all these artists. And the name of it was just The Great Art. And they just said that basically within uh, all of the arts, the one that is considered the great art is music. Mm. And, uh, and then I read a lot, uh, uh, the, the philosopher Schopenhauer wrote a lot about uh, why music is the greatest art form. I won't, I won't, I won't bore you with the uh, particulars of it, but he, he convinced me of it pretty, pretty handily. I would think probably the emotions it evokes too, hey? That's probably a big part of it. Yeah, I've, and I've heard it described also as the only art that doesn't involve uh, pictures or bodies. Kind of interesting. It is all, and 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 is and it is also an art that you that the receiver of the art contributes to by his own interpretation. Because you can interp interpret a symphony any way you want, or the emotions of that music they they are uniquely yours and how, how you respond to it. It's a pretty interesting thing. That's true. It's almost better to not know what the artist was thinking when they wrote it and just kind of get your own interpretation. I know it kind of ruins <laughs> it for you. That's why when that, when everybody had, came out with a video for the song, it kind of ruined it in a way. Yeah. No offense to the band, but the band that did uh, uh, Wang Chung. Everybody yeah. Wang Chung. I forgot. But I, I love that song when I first heard it. Da, 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 is it upbeat and some fun? Da, da. And then I saw the video and they were all kind of dour and sour faced and kind <laughs> of uh, angry looking. <laughs> they kind of ruined it for me. So sometimes I, that fantasy in your mind uh, is is better than uh, any, any form of reality. It's true. I mentally see the music video in my head of every song when I hear it. Like, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Um, Funny. So in your exciting career, remembering that you played with David Lee Roth early on, um, how did that experience with David Lee Roth shape you for where you are today? Well, it was like getting a PhD in uh, showbiz. And mm. uh, uh, Dave was a grandmaster. Uh, but he's also 
was also a fun and intelligent, great storyteller, great conversationalist out out at night uh, sitting around a table at a bar or a club. It was a riot always. <laughs> we, we would just let Dave just let him go and he would go and we would we would all be uh, supremely entertained. <laughs> and, uh, quite a renaissance man too he was always uh involved in something that was way different than what you would expect the lead singer of a rock and roll band to be involved in i think it was epitomized a few years ago when he decided to, 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 to do emergency medical technician training and get in an ambulance and go on calls yep. for people in new york city no less i thought that was a that spoke about a, a man who's really an artist who wants to live life and to reflect that life through his art. And therefore, that, I think that's what makes his art that that gives it that much thrust and that much uh, impact, if you will, because he really was quite a good, amazing uh, person to be around. And I, yeah. I, I still he's still my hero. And uh, it seems like he has like a lust for life, you know, and for helping people and just. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite, quite amazing. And he. And, very intelligent person. He knows a little bit about everything, you know. So you start start talking about nuclear physics, you know, he'll probably have a, a couple of ways he's going to chime in on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have any scandalous stories from those days? Tons. <laughs> Ones that you can actually share? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I, I don't. Well, most of my stories uh, in general, whether they're scandalous or not, mm. um, uh, we they're mostly performance art. So a lot of people in interviews, they ask me to tell them the story. I said, you know, I really can't, you gotta be, you gotta be there at a table, have a couple glasses of wine and a meal and hang out and have people. And then, they, and then they develop and then they start coming. So I, uh, as much as I would love to write them down or, or recite them, uh, you kind of have to be there It's kind of a, a performance art. So, uh, so I, I apologize that I, I can't necessarily, um, perform. <laughs> My dad was a recitationist as a young man, and he would recite poems and stories as a young man traveling around, and that's how he, he would earn his money sometimes. So as a kid, we remember him telling us his stories, and we would laugh. We know the, the punchline of the story every time. We'd still laugh all over again on the 50th time we heard it. But I got my storytelling <laughs> chops from him. He's an Irishman. My His dad came right from Ireland. So the gift of gab, the Irish uh, kind of... Uh, 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 thing that the, the, the Irish people do uh, with uh, storytelling and uh, authors and such uh, that he, he was very good at that. I picked that up from him quite a bit. But on the other hand, uh, stories being scandalous, I, I, I would like to uh, just uh, reassure uh, your listeners that uh, there was never anything disrespectful went on. <laughs> we, yeah. we had a riot. We had the time of our lives. All of us were consenting adults, and we always were, we, we always were kind and genteel and courteous towards uh, our, our, all of our friends. And, uh, uh, you, and you, you can pick up the gist of what I'm generally yes. referring to, uh, but it was always done in, with good nature and with respect and enjoyment. And a lot of the uh, young ladies that I met back in those days are still my friends to this day, and they've got kids in college, and and they're married and having wonderful lives. And they're, you know, we we're, we still drop each other a line once in a while, and you know, so it's it was never never a foul 
evil thing. It was we we had a blast, but we we really did it the right way. And even uh, there were two buses on the tour. Dave had his bus with him and his manager, and the other bus was the band. So on our bus, we had a riot. We but there was never any drugs involved. There's no no dope smoking or uh, cocaine. I, I haven't mm-hmm. even had an aspirin since 1971. I mean, we'd be <laughs> drinking drinking wine and be, having beers and having a fun, have a great time. Uh, I, in all fairness, I can't vouch for what was going on in, in the other bus because I just I just simply <laughs> don't know. But, yeah. uh, but but our bus was pretty clean cut in that respect. No drugs involved. And again, we were always respectful to uh, any young lady that might be accompanying us at any given time for for, uh, you know, an enjoyable time or what have you. That's lovely to hear. You know, you enjoy life, have a great time and then just, you know, have good memories to talk about later. And no one gets hurt. I like that. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> and we're still and everybody's still friends. You know, yeah. I remember. uh Two young ladies at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and they just did a, a they did a, a documentary on the on the Rainbow that's on Netflix right now. Oh, good! And that that, that was my go, that was my go to place for ten years. I mean, I was there always. I mean, it was a, a part part of the scenery. That I actually, they declared me to be the mayor of the Rainbow for quite a long time. <laughs> but I remember I was there with two young ladies that, that were both friends of mine, and they were kind of down and was jam-packed with a lot of people. And I said to them, okay, girls, you gotta be honest with me. If, as you look around the room, all the guys that are here, how many of them? And they both looked at each other and they looked at me and he goes, oh, probably all of them. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> okay, now how many of them are you still friends with? And they said, only you. So Aww. that was a cool thing. So I, and every time I see them, and I still see them to this day, I always remember that conversation. Yeah, yeah, we remember. So it was, it was kind of cool. No kidding. The Rainbow, hey? Is that place still open? Well, not during the coronavirus, no. But, no, uh, I mean, yeah. otherwise, it's quite, yeah. Uh, it's quite a, a tourist attraction. People from all over the world uh, go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it was a, it's quite an iconic place. Especially for uh, Lemmy. Yeah. yeah, he was there all the time. I got a photo of me, John Entwistle, uh, Chris Squire from Yes, and Lemmy all sitting together. And the, somebody posted the photo on the wall and that somebody stole it. So we, we don't have it anymore. Aww. But it was there for a long time. And uh, he was always around and just uh, minded his own business and nobody bothered him. And it was cool. And it was a Tuesday night, not many people there. And he'd be at the Pac-Man uh, thing and having a drink and but it was it was cool because nobody would you know really make a uh uh make it difficult for someone who had whatever degree of fame to sit there and enjoy themselves without being accosted or you know as you're trying to raise a fork full of food to your mouth having somebody you know trying to take your photo or whatever it was Mm -hmm. cool but but then again uh, all the people that were there that were in bands whenever we all were you know were happy to see people that came out and wanted to say hi you know so but it was a really cool vibe it was a great situation i saw so many uh had made so many great friends there and had so many uh legendary nights and uh we we closed the place well probably 20 or 30 times where we were the last table in the place and the owner would just say okay you guys can stay there everybody else could go <laughs> we had been at least 20 times where they're still serving us drinks, you know, after hours, you know, kind yeah. of uh, sneakily. Uh, but we, uh, we, what, what a, what a time it was. 
We've got those pubs up here too. <laughs> By the way, oh, great. yeah, I'm I'm in Edmonton, Canada, so I'm just like great, just over one time zone, uh, mountain time. Um, still snow on the ground. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, but uh, yeah, yep. we have we have our pubs like that here too, where we definitely we can be there till four or so in the morning, just you know. Well, I spent a lot of time in in Canada, but on the East Coast. I was from Buffalo, New York, so we we spent a lot of time in Toronto. And uh, I actually briefly played in Max Webster. I have a question about about Kim Mitchell coming up for you, actually. There you go. So you played in Max Webster, hey? (laughs) Yeah, just briefly. Mike Tilka, uh, they replaced Mike Tilka with me. I rehearsed with them. I didn't actually perform with them ever, but I rehearsed them with them. And uh, uh, finally, towards the end, uh, they changed their mind. <laughs> so I went back to Buffalo and got back in my old band again. And we went on. But I've stayed close friends with Kim the whole time. Uh, and he's just one of my favorite artists in the world. He's a Canadian treasure. <laughs> oh, really? That's good. Kim, good way Kim to put Mitchell. It. Yeah, Kim Mitchell is a treasure up here. Um, really brilliant. So from there, at what point in your career did you eventually? See, I got a bit of a history from Eric's recollection of the beginning of Mr. Big. How about from yours? I don't want to focus too much on that because, you know, you've probably told the story a million times. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it was uh, pretty simple. When I left Dave, uh, Ted Templeman was the... uh, was our producer for the Eat 'em and Smile record. He wasn't involved in the newer record, Skyscraper. So mm-hmm. he was a little kind of upset about it. And so he understood that there was things, some changes going on within the organization there with Dave that were not were not uh, to his liking or to my liking either. And uh, so I left the band and uh, wished everybody well. And then Ted kind of took me under his wing and Initially, he wanted me to get together with Steve Stevens mm. uh, from Billy Idol. We got together for a little while and hung out and talked about, you know, what what we would do if we had a band and explored the idea a little bit, but uh, never quite took off the ground. So he's an amazing guitar player, though, and a dear friend. So, so I went off looking somewhere else, and um, I knew of Paul Gilbert because uh, he used to come see me play in Tallis and when I, we played in Pittsburgh. As a matter of fact, my very first base clinic ever was in Pittsburgh and he was there. Right? So when he was just a kid too, he, you know, uh, and then, uh, I also knew a drummer in town, uh, in LA and uh, Pat Torpy. And I, 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 matter of fact, the, we sang the day I left David Lee Roth earlier part of the day, I was in the studio with Pat Torpy and Brett Tuggle keyboard player and another guy, Dave Amato, who plays with Ario speed, speed wagon now. And what they had us do is sing all the background vocals for all the songs to put into a sampler to use live. Prior to that, I, I only ever played in a band that really sang live, never did fake vocals. So uh, later that day, after I did, I remember sit, sitting there uh, singing the background vocals for the Skyscraper songs for the tour. Usually we do them a little faster because they're going to play it faster live anyway. And uh uh, just sitting there thinking, man, this would make a great band right here. Dave Amato on guitar, Brett Tucker keyboards, Pat Torpy drums and singing and me. It'd be pretty cool. So that later that day, I went to the office and all hell broke loose. And then I, I left the band. And uh, so, but I remember that. I remember Pat, what a great voice he had. So he was in the back of my mind for a drummer. Yeah. And I was looking for a singer and couldn't find anybody. And then uh, my buddy, Mike Varney, 
who was a finder of many you know, guitar players and bass players and singers and put a lot of helped a lot of bands get together. Uh, initially brought Ingve Malmsteen to America. My first major U.S. Uh, uh, press in a major magazine was Mike Varney's uh, Spotlight of New Talent, where he had me. And so he, he he called me up one day and I go, I got this one guy and uh, what was his name? Eric Martin. I never heard of him. No, he said, so uh, played played him for me over the phone and I, I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> kind of Paul Rogers, Steve Marriott, soulful, bluesy kind of a voice. That's what I. That's what I'm talking about completely. So he hooked us up, and we got together, and uh, bang, that was it. And by luck, Eric was associated with a guy named Herbie Herbert as a manager, and so Herbie agreed to manage the band, which was the golden egg that just landed because he was just one of the most powerful people in the music biz. One of the founding fathers of the music biz as rumor has it. And I'm pretty sure it's true. Herbie was the guy who said, why don't we sell t-shirts at the show with the band's name on it? Well, yeah. (laughs) Now everybody thinks, well, of course every band is no, 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 no. I saw Hendrix play. Someone thought of it first, man. (laughs) There was no Hendrix (laughs) t-shirts. There was no Beatles t-shirts, you know, a lot of this stuff. So he, and that's how Winterland, one of the biggest merch companies in in the world started Mm -hmm. was uh, out of San Francisco from, from Herbie's uh, a little, little thing. So he's got a million stories like that where he really, so as a manager of Mr. Big, he was instrumental in us getting the tours we got and everything else, including our number one single, he was he was the man behind making that happen. So not Atlantic Records. Atlantic Records actually fought us really? because they had they had their other artists that were much bigger priority to them. They wanted up on the charts and doing well. And they until we but once we became number one, they all took credit for it. Uh-huh. I was <laughs> going to ask, what, what did they do at that point? As soon as you have your number one, then. Yeah, the, and, and Herbie's, Herbie's explanation of it was perfect. His direct quote was, uh, success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. So, <laughs> so they were all trying to de, uh, make it that they were responsible for the man's success. But it was solely and only uh, Herbie Herbert, the, the Atlantic. Uh, uh, then uh, our next single, Just Take My Heart, was primed and ready to be a number one sing- single, and they blew it. And it was not number one. We would have had two number ones, maybe even three. But Atlantic blew the other two. So uh, such is life. Such is life. But then, I mean, wow, you go to Japan quite a bit throughout the last 20, 30 years, haven't you? And it's a, probably a different environment for Mr. Big there than it is here, right? Uh, well, yeah, people tend to uh, gravitate towards focusing on Japan. But in fact... There was a time in Italy where there were three Mr. Big Copy bands. Uh, Brazil, we played to 100,000 people on the beach. Uh, you know, so we uh, people tend to look at that Japan. It's kind of cliche. You know, well, they're big in Japan, big in Japan. But, yeah. but uh, Europe and South America and Australia and uh, so many other places we did great in and across the USA as well. So... Uh, but uh, but Japan was a very special place, no doubt about that. Uh, we uh, my first time there, uh, I Yamaha flew me there for a bass clinic, and I had the Mr. Big demo with me. So I was playing the Mr. Big demo as walk-in music to people, so they could hear Mr. Big for the first time at my bass clinic. And they had it at the NHK Hall, which is about a three thousand seater, 
So I went there for sound check, and I, I didn't know how big the place was. And I walked in as a 3,000-seater, and I said, well, you, are you guys going to, like, rope off uh, rope off the first 10 rows here for the people? It's kind of it's crazy to have it in this big a place. And they go, oh, no, it, it sold out. So I said, <laughs> so, what? So I, I better start practicing. So I went in the back and warmed up real quick. I came out, and it was sold out. Uh, my uh, base clinic in uh, in Tokyo, NHK Hall. NHK is their equivalent to NBC. That's their yeah. big uh, uh, network in Japan. And uh, so I, I had the opportunity to introduce Mr. Big to Japan in that fashion. Uh, I believe it had a, a very positive uh, outcome. When we went back again, everybody was ready for the band. We did uh, great business right away. And they really took the band to heart before anyone else did, even though we were very grateful for our success anywhere, but yeah. certainly in South America and Europe and all the other parts of the world outside of the USA, uh, we're, we're supremely grateful for that. But uh, Japan did really take us uh, to heart right away. And we, but we did a lot of things that other bands didn't do. A lot of bands would go to Japan and think, oh, it's Japan. We can do anything. And they're going to love us. And, and they'd never get asked back again. <laughs> but yeah. we, we, we knew that they were watching us under a microscope. So we hit it hard. And we hit it right. And we did everything we could do to do our best show. Not, not that we don't every night, but we really were conscientious about it. Then every fan letter was before the internet. Uh, they, they'd hand the fan letters to the guys at the soundboard or the crew and we'd end up backstage with a pile i mean a foot and a half or two feet high pile you know three feet in diameter of fan mail so i would take all the stuff addressed to me we split up the mr big ones i'd take all the ones dressed to me i'm not sure what the other guys did but myself personally i answered every single one because what they would do is within the envelope they put a return stamped envelope that was addressed, a pen, and stationery. So just to make it easy for you to write back. No so kidding. I would take each one. And uh, though I learned early on, the beginning of the tour, you wait to the end until you answer them, because otherwise I'll write back to you again and double you, your workload. So each time I would, I would answer hundreds <laughs> of letters from fans. And they're so sweet. I saved a lot of my in the archives it's the kindest sweetest oh. most beautiful emotional sentiments from these from these sweet people and dear people and i just fall in love with the culture and still have so many friends there today but what a, what an enriching and uh, uh glorious experience to especially japan because if you you when you land there it is like being on a different planet <laughs> it's <laughs> it's quite amazing and there i just have no greater love uh, for for those people there they're just so kind to us Ever since I was a teenager, we had some homestay students come and live with us from Japan for a couple of weeks. And just they bring you gifts for everyone in your family and they bring you oh, gifts for all your friends and they yeah. want to make you breakfast. And they just they're 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 the most beautiful people. And I've, I'm obsessed with the culture. Um, bucket list trip. I want to go. When, when things are back to real life, I hope to go see Japan. That's for sure. Oh, I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's the greatest place to again almost be like on another planet but it's safe it's clean it's easy people who were there were happy to help you english is prevalent everywhere i mean uh on the uh tokyo osaka nagoya the big three cities english is pretty prevalent once you get out of those uh it's not as prevalent but you can still get around 
I can still figure it out. I had one problem one time I was there uh, with a Japanese band, and uh, we stayed at a Japanese hotel in the city way outside, and the room numbers were in Japanese. Uh-huh. So I, I, I had no idea what my room number was. So I had to kind of remember that it was a squiggle with a line and a little dot and then another half a squiggle and a little line under that. That, that was my room number. So uh, pretty funny. But uh, generally, you can get along easily. It's safe uh, for everybody. And uh, you will see some things that will just blow your mind. Can't wait. One day. It's happening. Yeah. How oh, cool. <laughs> um, now, some of the current projects you're working on, um, like the Winery Dogs and Sons of Apollo. Um, yeah. Is the Winery Dogs still happening right now or is it on hold? Or Tell me yeah, a bit well, about that. It was Richie's uh, 50th birthday this year, so he wanted to do a, a – doing his own uh, solo project because he puts a lot of solo records out and they're quite awesome. So he ah. did 50, 50 songs for his 50th birthday, a record with 50 songs on it. And uh, so it was a pretty adventurous project. I mean, when he, was, when he was at song 38, I remember talking with him thinking, gee, I don't know if I can come up with another another 12 songs here. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. tapped out. But he did, and they're pretty awesome, pretty great. So we had all along decided to give it a, a rest only because – so many bands, and we were lucky to have some success right out of the box with the Winder Dogs. It was just we're we're so great. so many that made that happen. So we did a first record, toured our asses off. Did the second records, toured our asses off. Now we were about ready to to do it again. We thought, you know what? This is why so many bands. Well, we got lucky with the second record. We we had a, a, a really good record record as well uh judging by the response to it not n- no other opinion other than that mm. from me but but uh, I, I of course i liked it but that's i'm, I'm, I'm biased <laughs> so uh, we uh we thought you know every time a band exists for a while and does their first record they've been working on for years they've had them you know had them in the set and played them in clubs and you know they refine them and they're amazing and now when they put that first record out and they the whole world finds out about them it's amazing second record come out it's not so good why why is that well because you had 10 years to make your first record and you had Mm -hmm. three months to make your second record so it tends to be a difficult thing to to you don't it haven't really lived enough life and plus you've pretty much stopped living life now you're on tour not that that's not life but yeah you you know the, the 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 experiences tend to be uh uh more narrow in scope so we thought well you know we should go live and do our thing and then reconnoiter back a, a, a little little while later and that way we'll have uh, some stories and some things happen and some ups and downs in life and you know so when we write again this time it'll be like the first album again and very much like what the second album was so so we had planned all along to not tour again until next year we're going to start to write this year. So uh, that's that turns out to be kind of fortuitous for us because there's probably going to be nothing happening musically this year, touring wise with almost anybody uh, uh, until this thing blows over. So, and maybe a little bit in the next year, but at least next year we'll be prepared. And we, we probably, no matter what the touring situation is in 2021, we'll, we'll probably have a record for that. So that's good. Yeah, and it's good, especially in a situation like this, to see where the positives lie, such as, yeah, this is a great time to be creative. Yeah. You know, because. Yeah, everybody's uh, stuck at home, and I've got my a house full of bases and a, a Pro Tools rig and a Logic setup and uh, all the mics and and a couple of friends close by that can stop by that I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure they're safe. 
Yeah. <laughs> How so, many bases uh, do you own? Oh, it's an obscene amount. And I apologize <laughs> to those who only have one or still want to get one. I don't mean to be a hoarder, but uh, most all of them are important to me. And I just don't yeah. like to get rid of an instrument that I've spent time on and that, that, that some emotion with. So I, I, or that means something to me in some fashion, you know, so I have kept a lot of my bases. So I don't know how many there are actually, maybe, I know it's over 50, Yeah. but it's, it's a lot of instruments, but again, most all of them have a story and mean something to me. It's not like I'm just keeping mm-hmm. them for, for that sake, you know, just, but there's, there's a, I try to have it be a reason for, for me to keep a base. I still got my original bass that was my original P bass Fender that I had uh, just just as I was leaving high school. And that was the bass that took me all the way through up through uh, David Lee Roth, uh, probably uh, 12,000 gigs. <laughs> no, actually, my uh, uh, lifetime total, I was thinking hours, uh, for gigs is over 5,000, but easily 3,000. Maybe 2,500 were done on that base. Wow. Yeah. I still got that. No, I think it's very important that you you keep these things um, and and tell the story about each instrument, you know? Um, Yeah, I should. I got them all hanging up in my my studio and man cave now. So someday mm -hmm. I'll have somebody with a video camera. Here, take a walk with me and I'll tell the story of each one. We're the list base now, so well, that, that, that that should be that'll be in the future at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, and and not not to embarrass you, but you're widely regarded as one of the best rock bassists of all time. Um, Guitar Player Magazine's uh, you've won the award for best rock bassist five times, correct? Yeah, they let you win for five times, and they put you in the gallery of the greats, so, so nice. someone else uh, wins. So that's a great honor, and I'm I'm uh, really really. Uh, uh, the, the, the reader's poll uh, winning uh, is a big deal because th- those are your peers and those are the people that, you know, are in the same boat as you. And uh, I'm, I'm supremely thankful when uh, things like that happen. Uh, certainly a reader's poll, but especially for Guitar Player Magazine, because that was even when I was a little kid, I first got guitar when it was. Thing is stapled together in the in the in the founder's garage, <laughs> yeah. Before before it was all, all that that big, uh, and uh, so it was always a big part of my life. So to 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 win the poll at all, the first year I won it uh, was also on the cover of that issue, and uh, was and played Buffalo the night I got it. So I was I, in the hotel in my hometown in Buffalo, and they slid the magazine under my door and i heard it and i looked over it and there it was and i was on the cover had won the poll and mm. then that night the we headlined the uh war memorial auditorium in buffalo where i saw hendrix play for my first concert ever wow. and also then the mayor of buffalo declared it billy sheehan day so <laughs> that was a that was a day no <laughs> to kidding. say the least so we uh so it's kind of hard to hard to beat that one ever since so but it was a, but but the honor of of, of uh, being on the cover was amazing. But to win the poll, it really really uh, touched me uh, deeply. That uh, my uh, friends and peers in the music business would have a regard for me. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. It means a lot when it comes from the people and the fans, and you know, absolutely humbling. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, and when things like that happen, I you know I don't. It, it, it inspires me to work harder, actually, because I, 
I feel like, well, what I what I did got me here, so why stop now? <laughs> let's let's move further. Get more money, but just as a as a player, I wanna I wanna I still wanna get better. I'm still working hard. I, I practice more now than I did when I was 16 years old. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a, every day there's some new thing I find you out. Never about. Quit. You never quit learning in music. And if you stop learning, then you stop caring. I think it's, I agree. You got to keep it up. Yeah. There's no limit. And every time, and I see guys are these grand master players and watch them getting frustrated and thinking, I know exactly what he's going through. Because, yeah. You, you get, you get an accomplishment. That's nice. But, your goals inside that's another story that's another that's a way higher and way steeper mountain to climb and uh you just can't stop climbing it after these messages we'll be right back make sure you talk to our good friends adam and brian down at analog brewing they're the official beer of dope nostalgia they're at 8620 53rd avenue you can catch their tap room open from Thursdays through Saturdays, 4 till 11. Enjoy $6 pints at an everyday low price of $13 for a four-pack of retro styles. That's Analog Brewing, the official beer of Dope Nostalgia. There's just one, and that's no mistake in one. No way fake in Hello, Joe. What do you know? There's just one taste for that real attraction. Let's sample a bottle. I'll make it two. One for you and one for me. What was the first instrument you picked up? Actually, it was drums. Yeah. A friend of mine had a, a set of drums. I learned how to do the basic boogaloo beat on it and basic rock and roll beat. Uh, but the guy around the corner from me was a bass player. His name was Joe Hesse. And he uh, he was a cool guy, and I wanted to be like Joe. He's still a dear friend of mine. I still, still talk with him all the time. But he was a bass player in uh, the Rockin' Paramounts was the name of his band. They uh, slicked hair. It was before the Beatles hit. And mm-hmm. he was. Uh, and then when the Beatles hit, everybody washed the brill cream out of their hair and drew, <laughs> and grew it out. And I watched that whole transition happen from rockabilly that rock stuff, Everly Brothers and Elvis to the Beatles. I was young, but I but I, but I saw all the older kids, how they had their hair done. And then, <laughs> then suddenly one day it changed. And so Joe was just a great player. And he let me pick up his bass one time. And I, I plucked it a few times, got a little blister on my finger. So I, it was, <laughs> I knew it was a match made in heaven. So so ever since then, I, I, uh, I that was my, my beginning, uh, planted the seed. But but I was always in, in, entranced by bass more than guitar because uh, stupid on my part because guitar is the glory instrument. That's where all the that, that, that's where all the glory lies. Bass is a it's a workhorse <laughs> instrument. You, you gotta you know you gotta it's, it's like being the catcher on a baseball team. Every mm-hmm. every pitch you gotta deal with where the outfielders they can relax and and, and be super. 
uh, the the bass itself for me was it was bigger and had these thick strings and the amps were giant and you could hear them because I was a little kid I had to go to bed early so I could hear Joe's bass off in the distance you know couldn't hear the drums or guitars or anything but mm. I always heard the bass so for I in my mind I thought well it obviously it must be the most important instrument little that I know it was uh, being a singer or a guitar player was much more uh, in the limelight but that was never my goal of course but I just thought, mm-hmm. I thought it was funny later on that I was attracted to the the bass but I but I really was and it really is part of my uh, mentality and the way I think about things bass is uh, is everything it's really uh, uh, I love that it's a, an instrument that underpins the others that mm-hmm. they build on you, you lay something down for them to build on and it, it really you know when you pour the foundation of a building that's the key to the the integrity of that building so you pour a good one it's going to be no trouble at all you're Uh, you're preaching it it's so true especially in songwriting like you need you need that and i mean the thing about songwriting too is that no matter what your instrument the important thing is the service to the song exactly right right it's about the song i I have kids uh send send me uh their demos all the time and i just got one today and they go we got the song we're sending and it was just like a beat and a couple of chords and there's no vocals or no melody, and I said, "Well, it's not actually a song." I go, oh yeah, I said, no. I go, well, no, no, it isn't. Uh, and I tried to explain to them, you know, legally, in a court of law, the song is the lyrics and the melodies. The chords I'm might so have a glad little you said something. That. <laughs> the chords might have a little something to do with it. The bass line probably has nothing to do with it, nor does the drum beat have anything to do with it. So, in fact, when you're in a court of law in a in a publishing lawsuit. It's the it's the lyrics and melody, and that's what they go by. You know, something can sound a little like something else, but something there's almost nothing that doesn't sound like something uh, somewhere down the I line. Have, you can. I have had people tell me that you can copyright a chord progression. I argue, no, you can't, or else there wouldn't so. be enough music to go around. There is no, no way. No, and the, and the chords for when the solo comes in and stairway to heaven, A minor, G, G major, F major. Those chords are in about a thousand hits. Yep. And the straight straight chords are a, a to D to E to D. To a, that's in a that's that's that's, that's probably eighty five percent of rock music prior to nineteen seventy nine. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's you can't. It's just not not the way it goes. Some specific chord voicing and changes might, depending on the jury, might get you somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's lyrics and melodies. Yeah. And uh, instrument instrumental melodies, too. I believe you could probably copyright like a yeah. guitar solo and such. Yeah, absolutely. You could you can uh, uh, like a sleepwalk was a famous guitar. Uh, Jeff Beck later did it in his later years. Like uh, Jeff Beck, because uh, we ended his lovers and some of his some of his melody lines. And uh, yeah, melodies are, are uh, you, you can copyright them, of course. But uh, in general, lyrics and melodies. And uh, the drum beat, a lot of guys have tried to. I think uh, Bo Diddley with the Bo Diddley beat, which is uh, not fade away by the Rolling Stones. It's been used in a zillion songs. He tried, but he he never (laughs) got anything for it because that was his beat. That was a Bo Diddley beat. And it was used in uh, a million songs. And uh, poor Bo did not get compensated for that. It has to be this way or there'd be millions of lawsuits. 
Oh, yeah. It, it just crazy. has to be this way. Yeah. Now, for my time uh, fronting a band, the hardest position we ever had to fill was bassist. Always. Always yeah, finding tough, the bassist. It's, it's a tough thing because a lot of guys uh, go to bass because they think it's easier and they don't really push it too hard. And so when you need them in a pinch to really come up with something, they don't, they kind of, that's not their thing. And they you don't, know, a lot of them, we'd have a lot of guitar players that say, oh, I can play bass. But they don't have that mentality, that rhythmic mentality to do it right. Yeah, bass is all about the drums. And, yeah. if, you, and if you're looking at it as a melodic instrument, like, like a guitar, uh, it, you're going to get it wrong, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so I know, I know some guitar players that play bass pretty well, but, they do, but they're also great drummers. As they, they can also play drums. They understand about that. And again, the, the gentleman that I spoke about earlier, Joe, who, who, who began my playing, I went over to his house one time. They would never let me in while they were rehearsing. And my big brother and sisters could go in, but I was just a little kid. So I was all alone. The whole band wasn't there. And I went in. It was Joe and his drummer. And they were practicing bass and drums. And I said, Joe, how come you guys are practicing? Why? Where's the rest of the band? He goes, no, you see, every time the bass drum hits a beat, I got to play a bass note at the same time. So I got to play exactly the notes that the drummer's playing, but only play them on, play the pitches. But the timing has to be exactly matched up. So before I ever even owned a bass, the single most important thing I could ever know about bass was that when the bass drum hits a, ba hits a beat, you got to play a bass note if it's the right note, you're good. Even if it's the wrong note, though, if you're on time with them, you're ahead <laughs> of the game. So that was it. Was a lot of it from the very beginning is understanding the, the drums. And so maybe it was uh, fortunate for me. The first instrument I picked up was drumsticks and play a set of drums. But uh, but I've always been a drummer groupie from the beginning, from Buddy Rich and Billy Cobham and Dennis Chambers, and uh, and we've been lucky to play with a lot of great drummers as well. So. It bases about the drums, so a lot of times guitar is more about that other side of the melody, chord voicings, uh, things like that. That's not always exclusively by any means, uh, and every every rule is violated uh, pleasantly in, in many cases in this instance. But um, it's it's you really have to get know about drums, and and have a good understanding of what what chords are going on around you as well so to really be a good bass player in my humble opinion you really have to be uh spread out between the two worlds uh time and pitch and you, you, have, you have to know both of them pretty well and, and included in pitch is chords and chord voicings and understand what note needs to be accentuated and on the other side time to really be so solidly locked in with the drums so the bass is kind of a demanding uh, instrument to really do well but the good thing about it also is if you're if you've just begun and picking up a bass and playing a basic rock song almost anybody can do it so it's a great entrance point for people to music so as much but getting good at it is as difficult as any other instrument this is uh, really good information for all the new players out there who are listening. Um, right now. It's almost, almost like a master class, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoy encouraging uh, people to play music. 
Uh, new people or people have given up on it, especially people have given up. Sometimes I have a guy come to one of my clinics with his kid and he goes, hey, I used to play, but I wanted my son to see. And I go, well, why aren't you playing anymore? Oh, no time. So sure enough, I do my seminar, see him afterwards. Then I get an email a week later. This has happened dozens of times. I go, yeah, for your seminar, we got together with the old guys in the garage with a keg of beer. And now every Saturday night we're playing again and we're having a blast. Go, That's mm-hmm. it. That's the whole point. Play, whether you... You know, become famous or make money at it or not. That's nice, but that's not ever really the purpose. Just for the love of music. music. Exactly. (laughs) So it's happened a lot of times. I revitalized a lot of people's given up. And uh, also young players that are being taught incorrectly, but just not gaining an interest in it. And I'll sit them down and say, okay, what's your favorite song? What what band are you into? Oh, so and so. What song of theirs do you like? Blah, blah, blah. Play it for me, okay? Or show, play play the record for me. I go. You want to learn how to play that? Go, yeah. Here, this is how you play it. And suddenly, okay. they put it together. Not playing scales or playing old standards or things that the teacher might want them to do. They're playing their songs they love, and that's how. You know, for me, I when I was a kid, I, I put on a record and learned songs and play along with the record before I ever got in the band. So there's a lot of ways of inspiring people to do it. And if any of your uh, listeners are are considering and get a guitar get a bass sit at a piano uh a sax a trumpet uh cello a violin so many great entrance points and all of them are going to be tough at first but uh Mm -hmm. stick with it and and go through it and keep fighting the fight and the rewards are amazing the rewards are will last you the rest of your life it's a great book called This Is Your Brain on Music. I forgot the author's name, but I actually communicated with him a little bit uh, after I had, I think I had posted about it at one point and he contacted me. And uh, it's just amazing what the music can do for the mind and your sensibilities. And uh, many old folks in uh, uh, nursing homes that are basically dead to the world other than their heart beating and their lungs sucking in air still. And you play them a song from their youth and they come alive yeah. and they know they remember the lyrics. They, they don't remember the name of anyone they've let, met in the last 20 years, but they remember the lyrics and who the lead singer was and what label they were on. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. Incredible. The direct line music has. My mom was uh, about to pass away uh, in hospice at, at, at my brother's home. Uh, many, uh, maybe, I don't know, about seven years ago. And, um, uh, uh, we're all kind of sitting around and there with her and comforting her. And I had my iTunes collection on my laptop with me. And my sister, Mary goes, put some Sinatra on. And my mom was a huge Sinatra fan. I mm-hmm. put it on. My mom was drifting in and out of consciousness. Oh, yeah, that was the song that, uh, and she knew all about the song and who else sang it and, who, you know, who the orchestra leader was. And I instantly remember everything about it as if she was 16 years old. Amazing. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, like it's a it's a powerful thing, and it's always I've said to myself, "How do I remember lyrics from thirty years ago?" Like, <laughs> I like, know, no problem, no problem. It's just something. Yeah, it's amazing. And all I need to hear is the first millisecond of of a recording, and I instantly know who it is. And oh, I co- love that. Uh, a, we, we play stump the band where you sit around and just you know hit the song. Who can guess it first? I love Years playing ag- that game. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Years ago, 
a couple of my friends are like that too, or all, all music buffs. And so, okay, here's one for you. And I put it on, and the song opens up with a hi hat. <laughs> the first, my friend Steve goes, Donovan Mellow Yellow. The first hit of the hi hat. There was no other melody, no anything else. So, <laughs> Donovan uh, Mellow Yellow, he knew it. So the mind and music uh, is quite an amazing uh, thing woven together. It's true. Um, how much session work do you do for uh, other bands right now, other artists? Uh, here and there. Um, okay. If I do, unfortunately, I'm kind of known for, you know, the histrionics and wild ass crazy stuff. But I do. I played to be with you also. <laughs> I play some simple stuff. Uh, so but people don't always think of me in that in, in those terms, which, which is, you know, that's 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 my that's my uh, that's my uh, cross to bear, I guess. But uh, but when it comes time to do something like that, to do a uh, session, I always really make it. I want to do what they want. I want to play the way they want it played. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to them, you know, I can either do some fancy schmancy stuff or you tell me how you want it. You want it easy, cool, slow in the pocket. You want some bendy notes. You want a little bit aggressive. You want to, you know, back and forth, uh, uh, bring the chorus up, uh, lay out in the verse a little more. You tell me what you want. So I, for me, when I do a session, I really want to be, uh, you know, a hunk of clay for someone else to mold, you know, to, uh, you know, for someone else to tell me what they want. Because that's generally what session guys are. They go in with a great tone and a great attitude. And basically say, what do you want? <laughs> and how do you want it? And, and, and that's what they do. So I do enjoy doing that quite a bit. Uh, and uh, there's a real humility uh, and, and uh, selflessness to it in many ways, because you have to give up that thing that is you and yeah. your style and, and what you do and let someone else uh, dictate to you how they want it done. And, and once, I'm and cool. I'm once cool with that service to the song once again but at the exactly. same time when they want you to come in and work on the music there's a good chance that they want to hear your flavor on that too or they wouldn't have asked you in the first place yeah but, generally but there, there, there has been times when i came in and uh did uh, a couple country and western sessions here and there uh, yeah uh, and uh i remember the first time i went in was a young lady who was an acoustic guitar player and singer and friend of my of my wife's and uh she asked me to play in a couple songs and uh you know, when I walked in, it was she had like this hardcore Nashville kind of country producer, and I could kind of I, I felt the eyes rolling as I walked in, like oh boy, here we go, <laughs> this is gonna be a, and I just said, and in my mind I said, God damn it, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out here, and those guys are gonna be happy with what I did, no matter what happens. I want them to be blown away. I want them to be. I want to make them happy, and sure enough. I got through the thing and then, hey, Billy, that was pretty good. I, I, we never thought that you did it. Yeah, yeah. So it was, in the end, I actually, you know, mission accomplished. I, I, I got him to enjoy what I did there. So I must have done the right <laughs> thing. Pretty funny. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you prefer or uh, live performance or studio work? Is there live, a preference? Always, yeah, always live, always. Always live? for sure. That's how I grew up. I, we played in clubs every night constantly. Uh, just all the time. Uh, we did 21 nights in a row one time. We did three complete shows in one day once. We played early uh, at noon uh, for the crowd in downtown Buffalo at the, uh, at the M&T Bank. I had uh, these noon concerts. 
we played for that. Then uh, we left there and played for a Buffalo Bills football team uh, exhibition game. After the after their game, we played for the for the uh, people in attendance. Then we left, packed up the gear again, and went to the club Lakewood in Niagara Falls, New York, and mm. played uh, a show uh, up until two o'clock in the morning. So that and, and, and we didn't think anything of it at the time. <laughs> right mm. now, we're thinking, what three shows in a day? Impossible. But we, <laughs> we, we didn't even think about it. And we, one time we did 21 nights in a row, three straight weeks without a day off. And that, really? and that was with that was with Sing and like we did all Crosby, Sills and Nash, Three Dog Night, Grand Funk Railroad, tons of singing, tons of three-part harmony. Uh, nobody lost their voice. We got through it all. And uh, it was and, and also no monitors. We had no monitors at the time. You turn oh, the PA no. system a little bit so you could kind of hear what's coming off the front. And we got through it. And I heard, I've heard tapes of those shows of that era and we're we're on pitch we're we're okay that's impressive very cool so like were you traveling at the same time with all of that too no it was mostly local in buffalo so we would you know maybe an hour two hours three hour drive tops you know within our striking range around buffalo there were hundreds and hundreds of clubs at that time period in the 70s Mm. and uh later on we expanded and got out to uh albany new york city boston pittsburgh cleveland detroit uh and, and it, you know, kept kept going further and further around the Northeast. Toronto, we played Toronto a lot. Montreal, all those places. So, we we played everywhere. Well, that's a fantastic career. I mean, all the things you, that you get to do is just so exciting. Um, I, I how, how's your time looking? Because I just have a few questions left. Sure, go ahead. Okay, um, I have a couple questions from some listeners. Um, first, from Kendra. She would ask you if you could choose one new artist to cover a Mr. Big song, which artist and which song would it be? Wow, good question. Uh, good question. I've never had it posed to me before. Well, yeah. um, there's a song called Promise for the Moon, yeah. which is one of my favorite songs. It's not very well known, but it's just a beautiful chord change. And, and it reminds me a little bit. And it just came to me just now who it reminds me of. Because I'm thinking, what artist, what song? And suddenly these two snap together. I would love to hear Elton John sing that song. Because it very much, it reminds me, it doesn't sound anything like Tiny Dancer. But it reminds me a little bit of the vibe of the way that song sounded. Stories are different too. Mm. Uh, but but it just reminds me a little bit of, of that emotion that that song had. So, oh, but, he, but she said new artist though, right? Yeah. Okay, let me think of a new one. I don't know too many new Elton's, ones. <laughs> Elton's a solid choice, though. Yeah, uh, I don't really I'll have to stick with that one because I apologize. Once in a while, I, ha- I have to uh, <laughs> rely on the people around me to tell me who's who who's new uh, on the scene. I, and so I don't know this, what's happened in the last like five, ten years. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> well, you got me by probably a decade there, anyway. But. <laughs> Shock. I should have seen it 
question from Colin regarding the Van Halen rumors that happened. Now, this is probably something you've talked about quite a bit recently. Yeah. Um, but you were offered a chance to be in Van Halen. Is that correct? Well, they spoke with me. Ed spoke with me specifically about joining the band and uh, then uh, gave me the impression that 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 they were that it was it was a go then i saw the band a few nights later in toronto and ran and i didn't talk so much to dave i was mostly talking with uh uh ed uh alex and michael when i'd go see those guys who we had toured with them in 1980 and we we knew them pretty well yeah. um, so uh, when i saw dave there i said yeah i heard you've been talking to ed and then, oh okay because i and so in my mind i'm going wow this is it this so but they never made any official like piece of paper offer but that was the rumor there the uh uh at the at the time you know ed gave me his phone number i contacted him we talked a little bit blah 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 and uh, it looked good and then uh, a few months later they changed their mind they said you know i don't know if we can we're in a situation we change members now it might it might not be good and i'm as much as I wanted to be, oh man, it was my dream come true. But I also was torn because I love Michael and I love his playing, and yeah. and uh, I I I am a fan of bands. When they change a member, it's never the same for me. And right. I, I just not it's just not right anymore, you know. It uh, I'm into was into the original lineup, you know. <laughs> so yeah. many once in a while it happens. It's unavoidable. Somebody passes away. Brian Johnson goes in and does an amazing job with ACDC and comes up with Back in Black, and incredible, one of the greatest records ever. So it's not always a uh, a rule that uh, when somebody changes. Phil Collins took over Genesis. It was quite awesome, you know. Though I was yeah. a huge Peter Gabriel fan and early Genesis, but I, I liked them both. But uh, I, I, you know, I didn't want to see anything like that. And uh, so I, uh, who knows what the reasoning was behind it? But I'm, I, I, it was just a great honor to know those guys at all. To have ever spoken with them in any capacity, to have opened up for them was mind blowing, and to uh, have have had anyone ever entertained the thought that I might be associated with them in any way musically is, uh, I consider it a, a great honor. I did play with. I'm the only guy in the world that's played with every member of Van Halen. Wow. I played with uh, played with Ed. We did a uh, Jason Becker benefit a guitarist. Uh, 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 took ill and uh, we did a, a myself steve lukather pat torby ed van halen we played in chicago mm. uh i jammed with ed and al up at their house uh one time in the studio in the house uh michael anthony and i played for an ampeg they make a musical bass amplifier so we played for an ampeg uh, a show there uh, at a music trade show i mm. uh, did a tour with gary sharon the who tour with uh, myself mike portnoy paul gilbert gary sharon Oh, jam, yeah, with, nice. jam with Sammy Hagar at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, and uh, which was great. I got up and I, we used to play all the Montrose songs and the bar bands. And oh man, I, he goes, well, what, what Montrose song do you know? And I go, all of them. 
was so great. A wonderful guy. And of course, I played with Dave. Now, I never played with Wolfie yeah. musically, but when we came home from that benefit I did with Ed, he, his son was with him. And uh, Ed wanted to sleep on the flight. So I, I, I started to play with Wolfie to distract him so he wouldn't bother his dad so his dad could sleep. So I had a piece of paper and a pencil and I was doing some number games and drawing on animals and you know doing funny stuff so i remember ed woke up for a minute and goes you'd make a great father <laughs> but thanks very much ed so how I, old was I, wolfie I, at the time oh he was a little kid i it was uh oh maybe like four four or five he wasn't playing bass yet no 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 not yet but he's he sounds good i'm i'm i'm, I'm very pleased to see him playing excellent oh it's, it's so great to know all the talent that you've gotten to work with like you know, very, very well, cool. You're blessed. <laughs> I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I, I've had played with some just uh, great players and also great people. Most, mm -hmm. most everybody I've worked with, I'm still very good friends with, and I have high regard for them, for their character. You know, Steve Vai, Greg Bissonette, uh, David Lee Roth, Richard Cotson, all the guys in Mr. Big, Mike Portnoy, all the guys in Sons of Apollo. Uh, just Dennis Chambers, or just a lot of great, great, wonderful people that I just love dearly. And they happen to be awesome, too. So yeah. it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. I want to offer my condolences, too, on the loss of Pat Torpy. Um, and I have a, va a vast amount of respect for you as a band to make that decision to wrap things up without him there anymore. And how has Mr. Big gone about doing that? Well, initially, we um, Pat couldn't play the kit due to the Parkinson's uh, situation, you just lose coordination. Mm. We'd have him come up and play uh, Just Take My Heart, which is a ballad and relatively easy for him to play. So we had him uh, for a while, he, was, he would do that, but we had another drummer, a guy named uh, Matt Starr, wonderful guy and great drummer, come and do the heavy lifting of the drumming. While Pat was on stage, he played percussion, and of course sing. His voice was such a part of Mr. Big and our three-part harmony. Mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, on... on, on unquestionable it was so important uh so uh but then after after i, I remember towards the end of the last tour we did he, he i he was getting weaker and i could see it was just not he was having a hard time you know i we go up the stairs to the stage and i always make sure i'm i'm behind him just just, just to make sure he gets up there okay yeah. and i could see him getting weak and listless and having a hard time and parkinson's just it's like your your brain is on is on full all the time and it just burns you out and it's 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 rough so we uh after pat passed away we we decided well let's continue to do the shows that we were booked on because we had already been booked up for a, a few months in advance and matt star was kind enough to just pick up the slack and and play drums for all that so we did the, those final gigs and just said you know uh a lot of bands all that's left of them is their logo <laughs> and there's four different guys on stage now no offense to them because you got to make a living and some and this is the way the business works it has since time immemorial so there's no, no put down on anyone that does that because you and they're doing a great job and they sound fantastic and if they didn't the audience wouldn't be flocking to the to the shows and then the audience does respect that but it was just for me personally like I said before, I'm a fan of bands. When there's a change of member, it's not the same. I just thought, you know, let's just let's just let's just leave it for now. We may play together again, 
but without Pat, it just ain't the same. Matt is a great drummer. I jammed with him uh, before he was uh, ever joined us and just was always impressed with his playing and singing, but it's not the same. It's just a mm. different thing, you know, and, and in order to sound like that, there's probably some drummers that can come pretty darn close, but it's like your fingerprint or the iris of your eye or DNA. It's those things that you have about you that are completely unique and yeah. drumming and little finesse things that you do. We got so used to them after decades, someone else, it just, just ain't the same, you know? So, uh, so we really appreciate Matt doing a great job, but we thought, uh, let's leave it alone. You know, let's like, maybe someday we'll go back and, do something together, maybe just myself, Eric and Paul, maybe mm. with a drummer, who knows, maybe with uh, an orchestra, <laughs> who knows, but, uh, you know, we, we haven't talked about it, thought about it, planned about it at all, we just uh, remain good friends and bo bonded together by the amazing experience of having that band and having the success we had, and one of the greatest successes of the band is the friendship the four of us had you know it's uh, yeah. it's, it's tough to uh it's tough to replace that one and thank you for the great catalog of music like the songwriting is incredible i'm a big fan of big harmony you know yeah. um, i was mentioning some of my favorite tunes and album tracks um to eric um a couple of them i listed was uh, where are they now going where going where the wind blows right. um stay together um, lucky this time and oh, one of my favorites yeah so uh thank you for those songs um <laughs> what what would you say um would be the album track that you wish would have been like your favorite album track would that would have been big we did a song on i think the last record uh, called be kind be kind yeah okay and it was like a just kind of a a, a bluesy kind of a uh uh, shuffle remind me a lot of Frank Sinatra for some reason, but it was just a great little message, you know, be kind because you don't know what the other guy's been going through. So, you know, why don't yeah. you just just be 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 nice to people? What, how hard is it? How hard can it be? And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Unfortunately, is at a time when you know nobody was paying attention to any records that were coming out, and and uh, Mr. Big, uh, you know in many people's eyes had their had its glory days in the early 90s so you know they didn't weren't paying attention but i thought man if i what a what a just a touching sweet wonderful message and great piece of music cool changes and cool harmonies to it too and it this was, world needs to hear that <laughs> that message yeah it's it's a it's a especially at a time when there's just so much animosity and hostility and confrontation about people's politics and you know it's it's a rough time now it's funny families are split apart and uh friends that have been friends for 30 years won't talk to each other anymore yeah. it's just a, it's a tough time i, I wish I, I, the divisiveness no matter which side you're on you know it, it, unfortunately it's become a tactic to demonize people who believe something different than you do so uh, but i i i try to have respect for them and i just just hope others could do that and be kind is a lot about that but it's a it's a sweet song too it's a, it's a cool little piece so that, that that's certainly one of them
love that and another one called uh, uh, My New Religion oh yeah I think it was the record that Richie Costin was on a couple great songs off those records again I, I love Richie I played with him in the Winery Dogs I think he's a, he is a superstar one of the best greatest talents I know but oh, yeah. he wasn't exactly the right guy for Mr. Big mm-hmm. you know it was a and if he, if he would have started with Richie and then brought Paul in Everyone would have said, I don't know, Paul, it doesn't fit at all. <laughs> See, it's, it's, it's kind of what, it's, it's what you get used to. The you chemistry know, you already to... had intact. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It is. But hey, that's how it works. In the night it leaves you hopeless I believe in dreams I believe in flying I am what I am what I am And I'm sorry if I displeased you What am I fighting for? It's not my war Till today I was in my way Clouding up the lens of my own vision I gave up my magic wand For the right to get it wrong Brave the world's condition yeah. I turn out my crystal ball If I stumble I will crawl Make my new religion Do you have any causes that you currently support? Not uh, off the top of my head of anything I can think of, but I'm a, a, we rescued all of our cats. We have a, mm-hmm. I always have a, you know, we don't, I, I'd like to see people rescue uh, the animals in the shelters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to promote that on my, uh, on my social media feeds by just telling people how awesome our new kitty is. And mm-hmm. our last kitty was a rescue and, well, when she passed away, I must have had 3,000 comments on Spooky or my little kitty cat. I, she was 21 years old. Oh, I had her since she was life. three. Amazing. And uh, she passed away. And, man, the, the, it, it, it just brings tears to your eyes. You see so many people writing in uh, and people that lost their animals, too. And, oh, it was a very emotional time. And then we went out and rescued another one pretty quickly later you know and i it was i think as much as i wanted to wait in spooky's honor that little kitty that was stuck in a cage in the rescue he was he he didn't want to wait so we went and found him uh there was a couple cages in the in the uh rescue uh place the uh animal shelter one was down low i put my hands on my knees and reached out down looked down with my face down low and this little black kitty cat reached his hand up his paw and put his paw on my face. Oh. 
And I said, you win. You got my heart You're here. You're coming with a, us. I'm such a cat person. You got, you got me. Oh, man. And he, and of course, we, we, our hearts were, we were destroyed by losing Spooky. He was everything to us. Our mm-hmm. hearts were completely broken. So what does he have on his chest? Is a white heart. Really? So, so we called him the fixer of broken hearts. And he is. He's just a, he's a wild man. He's a, such a sweetest little guy. And now... He's uh, he's almost twelve pounds, so he's he's a big boy. Spooky was a, with probably three pounds. She was just a, a a shadow of herself because she lost so much weight as she got older. She was ill, and you know she had kidney problems and tumors on her, and God, God knows yeah. what. The, uh, uh, she had to take a, a thyroid medication and all kinds of things. So sad, you know. We knew it was it was going to come, but. But this new guy, he's just uh, the fixer of broken hearts. So I've been encouraging a lot of people on social media to go go out and grab a, you know, instead of going spending money somewhere, there's a kitty cat that needs you somewhere, especially people that lose a cat. I try to be delicate and I say, you know, when the time is right, remember, there's another kitty cat that needs a house, you know. Yeah. And a couple of people have taken my advice and and they're very happy they did. So any of your listeners out there that are mourning the loss, Somebody else out there needs you, so might might be time to go take a look. Yeah, there's a lot of animals that need good homes right now, so I'm really glad you mentioned that. Exactly, and I can't believe the stupidity of people abandoning their pets because they're uh-huh. afraid the pets. Oh my God, that is just ridiculous. Oh, how how? Well, I grew up with Newfoundlands. That's a Canadian thing. Yeah, or Newfoundland dogs. We had geese, minor birds, cats, all kinds of dogs, Newfoundlands, all kinds of things. And they're part of the family. I, I couldn't imagine driving a car out in the country, opening the door, putting the dog out and taking off. What? I know. It makes me sick. Mind-blowing. People can abandon. I just can't. I can't imagine it. Imagine what they do to their fellow humans. Because they say uh, most, a lot of serial killers were animal, animal torturers in their youth. So mm-hmm. w- what about the people that abandoned an animal like that? You know, and if you ever did and you feel guilty about it, make up for it by going to the shelter and, and rescuing some and giving them a wonderful life. Thank you for that. You're a beautiful soul. Thank you so much for your time you spent with me today. It takes one to know one, my dear. Thank you very much. <laughs> Time to do a quick recap to wrap up the episode with our good buddy Colin Krieger. Of course, we're doing our social distancing, so he gave me a shout from home. So, uh, how uh, how did you enjoy that interview with Billy Sheehan? It was that awesome. was wicked. That was a great interview, and uh, he really wanted to chat. He really wanted to get into it. That was awesome. Yeah, and it was very. Uh, he's very intelligent. Like. Uh, I, I learned, I really was engaged listening to him. Like I learned a lot mm-hmm. and I think a lot of bass players out there are going to learn a lot of valuable information or like new musicians as well, who are just trying to figure out what they want to do for their instruments. Sure. You know, that's one of the reasons why I asked him about uh, which instrument he gravitated towards first and the drums mm-hmm. makes total sense because obviously he's inclined towards rhythm. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny too. When he, when you were talking about, trouble finding a bass player he had talked about uh, uh, 
a lot of people gravitate towards the bass because it's easier. Didn't expect a bass player to say that. I thought he would defend the complexity of his instrument. He said, I go to bass because it's easier. I mean, I mean easier to pick up. It may be, but then again, it's probably easier for certain people and not for others. Some people That's probably are true. inclined and, and maybe more melodically inclined. Yeah. Would be better off picking up a guitar. But I think, I think most guitar players just figured that if they're too drunk to play six strings, they'll pick up a bass. You know, I don't know. I get that, <laughs> <laughs> that feeling sometimes. No, it's like, oh, just being able to share that and get the feedback on that information of the struggle I had in a band to find a bass player and how like we'd always have guitar players and they'll come through that'll say oh I can play bass and they do all right like they can get through a show or whatever and they can you know support it right they're not really bass players yeah so to be able to express that to like one of the greatest bassists of all time felt real good yeah well no I mean <laughs> it felt really good Billy Sheehan is an a bass player he's the bass player you know, he's yeah. not Nikki Six and he's not uh, uh, Gene Simmons. Like, he's really fucking Sheehan. Oh, that's awesome. He's good. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, I'll talk to uh, some of my musician friends and I heard I was interviewing him. They all, like, their draws pretty much literally drop. They're sure. just like, no way. That's amazing. They all want to hear it. They all want to hear it. They're like, I love him. Of course you do. He's, he's wonderful. Yeah. And he's such a good person. And it was, it was really nice to ask him that question. I asked him your question. I, I heard it, yeah. Yeah, about the Van Halen thing. I wasn't sure if I wanted to ask him that because I kind of worried that he heard it a lot. But he was very graceful and answered it. It was so cool that he was, I mean, you gave him the out, like, if you're bored, you can get <laughs> to stay. So that's, I mean, that's great. No, and he's, he's very good at, at uh, saying, like, yes, this happened this happened yeah. and, and and not not being like he doesn't throw people shade or throw anyone no. under the bus or anything like that no. he's just like this is a matter of factly what happened and i love these guys right and i did this yeah. and ed did this and this is what happened and it just kind of didn't work out but this is the way that it went no i thought that was great yeah and it's interesting because i think i don't i don't really know what goes on with eddie van halen or what what uh what his practices are and the reason why but i know that a lot of fans get upset at van halen and eddie in particular because of what's happened with different singers in and out the door and then what happened with mike uh, with the bass player there uh mike yeah. anthony yeah mike anthony doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about eddie anymore. uh yeah but you know neither well i mean neither does sammy hagar exactly david lee roth yeah, isn't bent out of shape but ben david lee roth is is crazy enough on his own i think that he like crazy doesn't bother him Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I've heard David Lee Roth talk a lot about Eddie Van Halen because they did get together for that stint again. Uh, when was that? About 10 years ago. They were back together for 43, four years. Was it that long? I, okay, because the very last tour I remember them doing, there might have been another one after it, but they came, they, they did about three or four shows of the tour with David Lee Roth and then the, sh the tour was canceled. And then when I think the very first show or first two shows, one of them was Edmonton. So we had we had friends that went to it. <laughs> oh, I I saw David Lee Roth in Edmonton. I can't remember what year that was, like two thousand eight, maybe. That's, that sounds accurate. Yeah, that sounds about the right time frame. Because we have a common friend there, Zelenko. I think went to that show. Yeah, that sounds right. No, it was like uh, my respect for Mr. Big is just through the roof. Like, how, what good people 
uh, Eric and Billy are to, to end to take the time to chat with me as long as they did. They, For sure. they weren't even worried about like a time frame or, I mean, we are living in a time right now where time is a little bit more accessible. <laughs> you know, that's true. I mean, maybe it's the time to get guests is now. Get guests when they're sitting in the house and they can't go anywhere. Yeah. Maybe I, now I is when you get Sebastian Bach. <laughs> I bet you, man. I bet you he'd come on. I, uh, uh, I've been messaging people a lot in the last week. Yeah. Um, so, That's good. so, you know, getting lots of content ready for everybody on the show and, and the podcast is, 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 it's, you know what, for a brand new podcast, I think we're doing exceptional. Do you have any favorite Mr. Big songs in particular that you want to share? I like, I don't know. I like the album tracks. I got the album tracks. I like the, the singles. I like Green Tune 60s Fine is my favorite. Yeah, me too. Uh, For the just singles. take my heart is good. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that lead into it. The whole album is great. To be with you is a great song. I'm just like completely. I've heard it fourteen thousand times, so I'm kind of finished. But like Green yeah. to the Sixties Mind is a, is my favorite Mr. Big song by far. I agree. I agree. It's such a great written song. It's just awesome. there's much more to elaborate on that other than the fact that the guy was a really cool down-to-earth dude and yeah. uh he's a musician through and through mm -hmm. and he wasn't there was no part of him that was looking for adulation or any of that kind of thing he just wanted to sit down and talk to you which was totally cool oh, like i mean very I, modest about he's very modest um and appreciative of how he, people appreciate him yeah like, about the awards and the accolades and stuff. He, he, he's matter of fact about, yes, this happened, but he's very yeah. cool about it. He's not arrogant. Oh, that's, absolutely. And that, that, was, that was what I took away from the whole thing was there was no arrogance there. There was no like, I'm Billy Sheehan. Can you imagine that interview if you were talking to Gene Simmons? It would have been like that. <laughs> you know, if we were talking to Nikki Six, it would have been like that. And he's Did got he... more talent than either of those guys, a long ways, yeah. I wonder. I mean, I used to listen to the Nikki Six's uh, radio show a bit. There, he seems like he's he'd be a, an okay guy to chat with. But I don't too know. many. There's too many tw tweets though. Like they, he when coronavirus came out, he's everybody should just calm down. Well, okay, or not. But that's he's he's a he's a denier. Thanks for coming on today, Colin. Thanks. Yeah, I had a good time. So with the quarantine podcast episode three in quarantine. Is this the third one in quarantine? I've lost count. 
Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email, dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, dope underscore nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. ATB! <laughs> 